And uh, that's just because the book of Romans really lends itself in that direction. The truths that we find in Romans really calls us to dive a little bit deeper than we usually would on a Sunday morning in, in some of the deep doctrinal truths that are related to salvation. And I felt like, I felt like last week, especially when we started looking at Abraham, and as I tried to unfold to you those 25 verses that are found in Romans chapter 4 that speak about how Abraham was saved even before the law was given, you could probably obviously see that there's so much more that we could have talked about just in regards to that. Interestingly enough, as we move through Romans and we start getting to some of the later chapters, we're going to revisit Abraham. We're going to be revisit what the Bible talks about in concern with ethnic Israel and, uh, and their hope and really some things that we're hoping and praying for them in general. But this series, Justified, really only encompasses just about three verse, uh, uh, three chapters, four chapters or so in the book of Romans. And uh, I, I've tried to give you a good definition of justification and what it means to be justified. And it's essentially God's action of declaring you righteous. And uh, I don't know if I've stated this yet, but I'll certainly reiterate this whenever we get to our next series in Romans. But when we're speaking about ju justification... Not justifications, that was a typo, that's my fault. Um, we're talking about salvation and we're talking about justification. We're basically speaking about that moment whenever we get saved, that initial point in time whenever God now looks at you and says, you are righteous, you are judicially vindicated. There has been a blood payment that has been made for you by Jesus upon the cross and your sinfulness and your punishment is imputed to him and his righteousness and, and eternity in heaven and life eternal is imputed to us. And there's a phrase that I asked you to really keep in mind last week, a phrase that we use often, a phrase that we're going to see often throughout the book of Romans and one that we can never forget, but when it comes to salvation, we are saved by grace through faith. I tried to emphasize this really strongly last week whenever we looked at Abraham, that Abraham was justified by grace through faith and the law wasn't even given. Uh, he was, uh, Abraham is in heaven today not because he followed the law, but because he believed God. And the Bible says that it was credited to him as righteousness. So all of this that we've been looking at over the past several weeks, and then, and then going back to the Lost series and all, all of the things that we have been talking about that have, have caused us to kind of look at some more, um, I, I guess you would say maybe some of the more intellectual sides of, of what God says about the doctrine of salvation. I want to emphasize today that justification is not just some random theological concept that we believe. It's, it's, it's not just some uh, exercise in intellectualism based upon what we read in the Bible. This is something that should be real to us. This is something that should be experiential for us. And we should never divorce the doctrines of God with the relevant experiences of living in a relationship with Jesus in the here and, and, and in the now. Because after all, the mysterious truths of God, they, they should have some practical relevance in our life. I mean, we don't, we don't, just, we don't just come to church because we want to know the truth. 
We come to church and we read the Bible and we worship because we want to live out the truth. We want it to be experiential in our life. And I don't mean emotionalism. I mean that, that, that we want it to be something that is extremely real and making a difference in how we live. And so we, we want to emphasize this change. And most of the application, the real-world application that we're going to see in Romans is going to kind of come towards the middle and towards the end. This is typical of the Apostle Paul, by the way. In most all of his writings, he starts off with some type of major doctrine, usually trying to refute a false doctrine or to correct some type of error within the church. And then he deals with that and gives details about that. And then he moves into the more real-life, real-world practical. And we're certainly going to see that in Romans as well. But in these first five verses of Romans chapter 5, we get a glimpse into some of the benefits, and I'm just going to I'm, I'm call these life-giving benefits of justification. You know, there are certain things in this world that bring perks, right? You can, you can have a government job, and maybe it brings certain, certain perks, certain benefits. Uh, certainly, if you're employed by a company, they give you benefits. Maybe it's a retirement benefit or a health benefit or, or mileage benefit or whatever it might be. And I believe that the way that Christ justifies us, that our salvation, that it means that God's not just saving us from a far away place, that it has real world implication, life-giving benefits in how we live. And I suppose that we could spend a long time talking about the blessings that we receive in this life. But I'm, I'm really just going to focus on three benefits of justification today because there's these are the three that we see in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 through 5 and I give you a little cheat sheet on the back of your bulletin you can you can read ahead and see those benefits they're related uh, to peace and access to grace and joy and suffering these are three incredible real world experiential benefits that we directly receive and can walk in consistently whenever we know Jesus as Savior. So uh, I want to ask you to stand with me as we read Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. By the way, life group leaders, I know that we're doing this text-based thing, and I'm supposed to preach Romans 5 verse 1 through 11. Y'all, I couldn't get it all in. I mean, there's just, I just couldn't. I was like, oh no, let's just, let's just only do Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. And I was like, I, I can't even get that far. I can't even get that far today. So I'm only going to do 1 through 5. And then next week, whenever we take the Lord's Supper, and I really hope that you'll prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper, we're only going to look at Romans chapter 5, verse, uh, verses, 6 through, uh, verses 6 through 9. And uh, the rest of Romans chapter 5, I'm just going to have to hit on a Sunday night. Now, you life group leaders, y'all are smarter than me, and you might can figure out how to get all of that in this week and next week. And I, if you can do that, I, I commend you for it. Um, but we're going to read today just Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, look what we have. We have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look what else we have, verse 2. 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom has been given to us. Man, I think there's so much truth in those five verses. We're just going to deal with those this morning. Let's pray together. Father, today we cherish your word. We thank you so much for the benefits of our justification, for the benefits of salvation that we have been granted and that we have been given. God, we love you so much for giving us peace. God, you have given us access to grace. You have given us joy in suffering. And I pray that today, Lord, as we worship through this act of preaching and teaching, Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts to worship and to count all of the benefits that you have given to us and the blessings that you have poured out upon us. God, touch your people today. Encourage them. Increase their faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, I want you to, uh, I want you to just consider with me some of the things that we see that most all human beings desire from this life. Think about what most all human beings desire from this life. Typically, what we do is, is we think, well, the majority of human beings, what they desire is they want financial security, or they want, to, they want fame, or they want power, or they want a good job, or they want uh, a certain relationships, or, or whatever, whatever it might be. And we tend to look at our culture, and we see our culture going after these things. I mean, when we look at our televisions, when we watch movies, we see on social media, and it seems like the whole world is going after those things. But the truth is, on a basic level, people are looking for something different than that. I'm, think about this. Most people, if they're honest, if they're honest, most people, even above and beyond financial security and health and fame and all those types of things that we tend to think people want the most, above all of that, people are looking for meaning. People are searching for significance. People, people want to have peace. They want to be loved. They want to be valued. People want to be noticed. People want to be affirmed. They want to find belonging. They want to have purpose. And we know this to be true because whenever you consider some of the most influential, some of the most powerful, some of the most wealthy people in all of the world, it's no secret that a lot of them are, live extremely unfulfilled lives. Uh, to, to state it plainly, they have all these things, but they're still not happy. And that's because we all truly are looking for those things that touch our souls and not so much are related to our circumstances. Now listen, I'm not naive. I know that if we have a, a health problem or a financial problem or a relational problem or all of those things that seem, they seem like to be the things that consume our life from day to day and from week to week, obviously those are real in our life. But they're not near as deep as the needs of these that I have, have just mentioned. 
And it's, it's proof that we see people all over the place that seem to have everything in their life, but there's still an emptiness inside of them because many of them are not enjoying the benefits of life, the life-giving benefits that God has promised. And we've read them and I've pointed them out to you in Romans chapter 5, and that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus gives us life at the deepest level, at the deepest level. It never, you know, I mean, now y'all know that I have a big issue with the health and wealth gospel. I've I've stated that pretty clearly. That's it, that's what this is one of the reasons that it blows me away that people tend to come to God and just want God to fix all of their external problems. That really is no different than what people that don't know Jesus are doing out in the world. They're just not turning to God for those things. They're turning to they're turning to real idols to have those things in their life. It's really no different. But when we come to the Lord, Jesus can touch us at the deepest level and give us benefits that we just can't find in the world. Three major benefits that I've already pointed out. Three major life-giving benefits of justification. And this first one is peace. Peace specifically with God. This is what the Bible says that Romans gives to us. Romans, or, or what Romans says that God gives to us. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, since we have been justified, since we have been uh, judicially vindicated, since God has declared you righteous, because of that, because that has happened by faith, the first benefit that is listed is that we have peace with God. This world is not a place of peace. I mean, it's just not. If for no other reason, because everybody's just in a big hurry. I mean, busy, 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 busy. Not to mention all of the conflict and all of the strife and, and all of the, you know, arguing about this and going to war over that and all the uncertainty that we see in life. Just, just the, I mean, even if none of that was there, we are a busy people. It's almost that we're always trying to go somewhere. We're always trying to get to the next place. We're always chasing something and it just never ends. I think about the writer of Ecclesiastes who spoke about this. And he talked about how the sun, it comes up and it goes down. The wind, it blows here and there. The streams, they go into the sea and then it just never seems to be full. The eye doesn't have enough seeing. The ear doesn't have enough hearing. And on and on it goes. Describing creation. The earth, by the way, is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, 1,037 to be exact. The earth is moving at an orbital speed of 66,000 miles per hour. Our galaxy is moving at 1.4 million miles per hour. My mind can't think anything any bigger than that, but it's beyond me how fast this world is moving. But that's not really the problem. The problem is our souls are not at rest. Our souls are just in a big hurry. And the Bible says that we can have peace with God. I submit to you today that the only place that our souls can find peace is through the Prince of Peace. God is a God of peace. He is a God 
a peace. Do you know that God is not stressed out? Do you know God is not worried? Do you know he is not frantically rushing about his day trying to accomplish tasks? Do you know that he's not, he's not scared and nervous about things that are going on? Our God is a God of peace. And, I'm, and this is the way that Jesus lived, by the way. Whenever God came and lived among us for 33 years, he had several tasks to complete. I, I can't imagine um, the busyness and the, and the burden that he had. I mean, it seemed like he was always doing something. But even though he lived a life of, uh, of action, he still had an internal peace. Why, I mean, how else could the Son of God sleep on a boat during the midst of a storm? Or comfort his disciples and eat dinner the night before he was betrayed? Or give no answer whenever he was accused before Pilate and his, I mean, the death penalty was upon him. And it's like he just gave no answer. Jesus was a person of peace. He, was, he is the prince of peace. And God is a God of peace. And I believe that God wants us to live in this way as well. And whenever we're justified before God, whenever God declares us righteous, a, a right relationship with Him is where a life of peace begins. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like conflict that much. Especially when it exists between like me and someone I love. Like if there's conflict like between, between me and my wife, I mean, it's like I just can't stand that. You know that, you know that funky feeling that's just kind of there, that awkwardness, like, you know, you, you, don't, you don't really know what to say. And you might, you might set them off at any time. You might say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. Um, I, I never have liked that. Because conflict, it's like it brings a, it, it, it brings a distance. There's a wedge that's there. Being estranged from someone is, is always hard. Some of you uh, might have experienced that in your life. Maybe you have a father or a mother or a brother or a best friend or someone you're estranged from them. Like there's a, there's a distance that exists between you and them. You see, that's what your life was like before you got saved. Before you got saved, the Bible said that we were at enmity with God, that we were his enemy, that we were rebels. There was, a, there was a distance between us and him. But when we got justified, whenever we were saved, whenever we called on Jesus in faith, and we believed in him, and whenever we were converted, God said, you're righteous now. And he basically says, all the conflict has moved aside. Now there's peace between you and between me. And here's the great thing. We have permanent peace with God. You are permanently at peace with God. There is no more conflict between you and God as if somehow you do something to make God mad and now he gives you the silent treatment. That's not how it works. You see, peace in the world is fragile. It can, it, can, uh, it can be broken in a moment, but peace with God is absolutely permanent. And peace with God is meant to bring the peace of God. This is, and, and this is where it starts. It starts with beginning a relationship with Jesus. Whenever we come to faith in Christ, whenever we're justified, when God declares us righteous, we have peace with God 
And that's the basis upon when, which we can experience the peace of God. I find that a lot of Christians are not living out the example of peace. I find this in my life all the time that I find myself getting swallowed up with the things of this world, even swallowed up with the tasks of ministry. And I become busy, 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 busy. And I lose the peace of God in my life. And it's almost as if the Lord has to put his hand on my shoulder and say, hey, you and I are good. We're at peace. And you need to, you need to live that out. The peace with God brings the peace of God, we should be living examples of this. This is a significant benefit that God gives to us that so often that we don't take advantage of. We don't take, we don't take advantage of, of the peace that God has to offer. We choose rather instead just to be busy or to have all types of things swirling about in our life, all types of worry, all types of care or conflict or, or just a, a calendar that's too full. Listen, God has given you a significant benefit as a result of your salvation. You have peace with God. Number two, you have access to grace. Access to grace. This is the second thing that Paul points out that is a direct result of justification. And by the way, I think there's something intentional in the Word of God to describe a lost condition and then to describe being justified by grace through faith and then immediately list these three benefits as, as, as the benefits that, are, that, that should just be immediate in our life. Peace and then access to grace. This is the second, access to grace. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. Access to grace. That's what we have, access to grace. You know, in the world, there's people with special access, right? There's special access to certain things. Guess what I have? I've never had one of these before. Guess what I have? I have a key card that gets me into the church. Do you have one of these? <laughs> you don't have one of these, do you? Chuck gave me one of these. Chuck, have you given other people any of these? Not very many, right. you given, huh? You've given other people the same access that I have? A key card, right? I have special access so I can just walk up to any door in the church, and I can take out my wallet, and I can just go, boop. Or if I was tall enough, I could just kind of slide past it, but I'm not quite, I'm not, I'm, not quite, uh, I'm not quite tall enough to do that. Special access. I feel, you made me feel special, Chuck, whenever you gave me that key card, by the way. Huh? Oh, oh Chuck, oh, just, I'm feeling the love right now. I'll tell you, man, I'm just feeling the love. Special access, right? You know, whenever there is conflict between people, you don't have access. The, ac the access is broken. But whenever we're justified by God, when we have peace with God, that access is restored. And that, listen, that access that we have to God gives us access to His kindness and His grace. What is grace? Grace is undeserved kindness that is lavished upon sinners. 
This is one of the benefits that you have of being saved. This is one of the benefits that you have of justification. You have a key card to grace. You have immediate access into God's kindness. Listen, this is what Adam and Eve lost at the garden. This is what they lost. They had complete access to God and His kindness. God gave them a paradise. God gave them all the food that they wanted. God gave them peace and tranquility with all the animals around them. The animals came to them and they named them. They had complete peace with each other. They lived in this world of tranquility. And the Bible says that God would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. They had access to God, to a relationship with Him. And this means access to one of the kindest, to, to the kindest, the most merciful, the most loving, most gracious being that can ever be conceived. I think that we miss this quality about God. The Bible says that He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Whenever we have access to God. We have access to His grace, His kindness that He's given to us. Adam and Eve lost this whenever they were sin, whenever they sinned, and God put an angel with a flaming sword to guard the Garden of Eden. Well, through Christ, access to God and His grace is restored. The fiery angelic sword has been extinguished by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy of Holies was split in two. And now we have access to God again. The wall of separation is gone. And you can now walk with the Lord. You can experience the kindness of God. And this grace is not just saving grace. You see, saving grace grants us access to sustaining grace. And this is where a lot of us are right now. Um, we've received the saving grace of God, but we need the sustaining grace of God. The sustaining grace of God is His ongoing kindness to us, to where He carries us through this life and all of the things um, that, that, we have, uh, uh, that, that we struggle with. God's grace... And God's kindness doesn't just save us. God's grace and God's kindness remains with us and sustains us spiritually throughout this life. And the great lie of Satan, listen, the great lie of Satan is that God's kindness and God's favor and God's grace can be taken away from you. Satan wants you to think that if you mess up, God is no longer going to be kind to you. If you do wrong and if you sin, then God's going to, he's going to break that access. He's going, to, he's going to remove your peace and he's no longer going to be gracious and kind to you. Listen, the Lord loves you. You can try to be a prodigal if you want to, but remember the prodigal came back. God's grace is always there. In fact, the Bible says that, that it's, it's, it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. We've already looked at that passage in, uh, in, in Romans already. Just because you sin doesn't mean God hates you now. Just because you do wrong or just because you failed this week or just because you've been skipping church or hadn't had a quiet time doesn't mean that God has hardened His face towards you. God has granted you access through Christ, and it never, it never goes away. You can't lose it. 
Number three, I love this benefit. Joy in suffering. Joy in suffering. This is the third benefit. As you can see, each one of these could be a standalone sermon. And we could talk about God's sustaining grace. But I look at this joy in suffering, and this is one of the ways that God in His grace sustains us. Look what the Scripture says. It says we rejoice in our sufferings. This benefit right here is distinctively Christian. This is, this is a distinctive and striking mark of someone who is genuinely a believer in Jesus is that they can rejoice in the midst of their suffering. They don't rejoice because of their suffering. They're not happy because they got sick or because their loved one passed away or because something bad happened to them. They're not happy because of those things, but they can have joy in the midst of those things. This is an incredible benefit that God offers to us. And look, it says that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now think about that. Suffering brings rejoicing and endurance and character and hope and causes God's love to be poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. To me, this one verse is radical and is amazing. If, there's, if, there, if there was no other benefit to being saved, if there, was, uh, if there was no such thing as eternal life, if the only thing that God gave us was this, the fact that we could be sustained and have joy in the midst of our suffering. I'm not so sure that this benefit right here, just by itself, wouldn't be worth it. Because there's so much suffering in this world. It's everywhere. There's not a person in this room that hasn't suffered. There's not a, now, all, obviously on different levels, there's not a person in this room that hasn't suffered physically, mentally, emotionally, in some type of way. To live into this world is to suffer. It is absolutely imminent. And listen, young people, I, I hate to tell you, but it, it kind of gets worse. The older you get, there's something about these bodies that just start to break down. And um, it's just... It's just inevitable. And see, most of the time, we try to avoid suffering. That's what we try to do. Most of the time, it's interesting, most of the time, we spend the majority of our life trying to avoid suffering, but yet everywhere in Scripture, suffering is said to lead to some of the most magnificent spiritual benefits that God has to offer us. I have a love-hate relationship with this truth, I'll just tell you. Why can't I, ha why can't I have all the wonderful things that God has to offer without the suffering. Unfortunately, that's just not how it works. God spiritually strengthens us when we suffer. This is clear in Scripture. It gives us endurance. God spiritually strengthens us when we suffer. The person without faith, when they suffer, it leads to depletion and despair. But for the Christian... Suffering is spiritual steroids for our faith. It strengthens us. Suffering either uncovers faith that is embedded in the heart, or it reveals a lack of faith 
that was never there to begin with. If you want to dig up someone's faith, if you want a microscope into whether or not there's faith in someone's heart, watch them whenever they suffer. And that's hard, but suffering is a test. And people without true faith give up whenever it's hard. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower. He said some seed fell among the thorns, and the cares of this world choked it out. The cares of this world could mean the pursuits that we have in this world of various things, or it could mean the cares and the sufferings that we have in this world. People without true faith, they give up on Jesus. They give up on a relationship with Christ whenever it gets hard. And also, and this, I think this is great too, I, somehow God does this. God grows Christ-like character in us whenever we suffer. You see, the Bible says rejoice in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance. And what does endurance produce? Character. It produces character. God forms the person of Jesus and his life inside of us whenever we suffer. The Bible says, just as Jesus suffered, arm yourselves also with the same mind because he who has suffered is done with sin. It's a purification that God brings into our life. And also, listen, God pours his love upon us whenever we suffer. He pours it out upon us. God is present with his people whenever they hurt. Scripture says that we just read, we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. There is nothing more soothing to us whenever we suffer than the presence of the love of God with us. This is what you need to pray for, for your friends and people that you know that are suffering and having a hard time. I know we want to pray for healing. I know we want to pray for restoration. I know we want to pray for resolution. I know we want to pray for all of those things. But the main thing that we want to pray for the people that we love, the main thing that we want to pray for ourselves, we want to pray that, that they would receive the maximum comfort possible, and that is that the love of Christ would be poured out into their heart. This is a magnificent benefit that we have of being in a relationship with Jesus. And God produces hope in us through suffering. And this is quite amazing because usually we think that suffering destroys hope, but that's not how faith works. Suffering leads to more hope. And hope is not a wing in the prayer. Well, I hope so. If you ask somebody, are you going to heaven? And they say, I hope so. That is the wrong answer and they have no true knowledge of the gospel they probably still have a works-based idea um, of, of what it means hope means that I'm, I have faith that I'm certain in what God's going to do and I know that he is with me and the deepest joy that can be found is in the worst of suffering I find this amazing that we can we can go through all these hard times but yet we can still have deep joy isn't God good that he designed it this way? Isn't God good that he designed that we can have joy and strength and character and, and all of these benefits as a result of suffering? God is good that he has done this for us. 
I mean, after all, he could have he just said, look, I know it's hard, but don't worry. You're going to die one day, and you're going to be in heaven with me, so just deal with it. I mean, even if, if God would have done that, then we would have just been like, okay, I have no comfort now in all of this bad stuff that's happening to me. It just doesn't matter. One day I'm going to die, and I'll be with him in heaven. But God says that he's with us, that even in the midst of all of that hardship and suffering that we might experience, that he's going to pour out his joy, that he's going to strengthen us spiritually, he's going to give us endurance, he's going to work in us Christ-like character in the midst of all the bad things that we have going on in our life. This is a benefit that too often we don't take advantage of whenever we suffer. We just wallow in this worldly grief and wallow in this, this worldly despair. And our eyes of faith are not opened up to what God has for us. I guess we could go on and on and on about the benefits of justification. And the benefits of what God is going to do for us and what God has promised that he would do for us. And the things that God has promised to give to us as a result of, uh, of being saved. Let us forget not all his benefits. Count your blessings. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I wonder if there are some benefits of a relationship with Jesus that you just haven't been taken advantage of. I wonder if, if you haven't been taken advantage of the peace and the grace, the kindness, the rejoicing and suffering. I wonder if there's all these benefits that, that you haven't been taken advantage of. And perhaps you're a believer and, and you know Jesus as Savior, but you just, you just, for whatever reason, haven't been looking to Christ to fill those needs in your life. Would you, would you call on Jesus today? and ask Him to sustain you with His grace? Would you call on Jesus today and ask Him to give you joy in the deepest level? Would you call on Jesus today and say, Lord, bring peace? into? Would you cash in your benefits today? They're yours. They're yours in Christ Jesus. It's not like you have to earn them. Jesus earned them for you. All you have to do is walk in them and, and ask the Lord. It's it's faith. It's, it's looking to Him in faith. Would your, would your faith be strengthened today to the point to where you could have these benefits in your life? Perhaps you're here today and you'd say, I have never, ever heard that preached before. I have always just been trying to do the best that I can in order to earn the benefits of God. Friend, you cannot earn the benefits of God. They have been bought at a price. Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins. You have been bought with the blood of Christ. And maybe today you need to call on him in faith. The Bible makes it so simple. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I hope that you won't spend a lot of time thinking that the Lord's going to make you rich or the Lord's going to make you healthy or the Lord's going to fix all of your problems and your circumstances and your situation. I hope that today that you would want to claim the true benefits that Jesus has to offer you. Eternal life, number one, but number two, a quality of life 
in the midst of this sinful world a quality of life that you can have in your soul. Not necessarily a quality of life in your circumstances because there's no telling what those are going to be like. But you can have a life-giving benefit deep in your soul that only Jesus can give you today. But you have to call upon his name. You have to believe in him. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. I'll give you an opportunity right now to pray to the Lord. What do you need to pray? What does God need to hear you say right now? What does the Lord require of you? What, is, what, is, what, is he, what does He want you to say to Him right now? How does He want you to pray? You know, the Bible says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that cannot be uttered. Would you call on Jesus right now? Pray to Him. You need to pray about peace today. You need to pray about grace and kindness and access. You need to pray about joy in the midst of suffering. You need to pray about those things. Or do you need to call on Jesus and be saved? I believe that God will hear your prayer. He'll hear it right now. He's listening to you right now, this very instant. He is interested in what's going on in your life. He is interested in your prayer and in the words that you're speaking right now to him. He is listening. 